All right, this is first and boost week eight reaction, but we're also doing our midseason awards. I'm Connor Taylor. With me is Mark Schoenster, and Manny is joining us as well. How are you doing today, Manny? I'm doing good. How are you guys? I'm doing well. It was a it was a good week, an exciting week, uh, some upsets. But before we get into the games, I think we can jump into what we think are who deserves the awards as of now, like MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, and stuff like that. I, I wanted to start with the Offensive Player of the Year. This one was slightly difficult for me. I was kind of honestly choosing between Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. And I think it could go back and forth, but at the end of the day, for me, it's it's got to be Derrick Henry just because he's he's on a better team as of right now and and even though Dalvin Cook he he's doing really well and he's going to matter down the road but as of right now I think Derrick Henry's uh, he's come up bigger at uh, bigger games at this at this moment. Yeah, I have uh, Dalvin Cook as well, or sorry, Derrick Henry as well. But Dalvin Cook's also a great pick. It could end up passing Derrick Henry, which is impressive in total yards given the fact that he's missed a couple games. Um, I, I love a lot of things about Dalvin Cook, and we can talk a little bit about him later when we uh, talk about the Packers-Vikings game. Um, but the only other person that really came to my head when it came to offensive player uh, of the year up to this point uh, was DeAndre Hopkins. The amount of targets that guy gets game in and game out has been phenomenal. Uh, he leads the league in receiving yards, and even though his team just came off a bye, uh, he still leads in that regard. So credit to D-Hop for that. But at this point, I think Derrick Henry has been one of the most dominant offensive players on the field, and that's even accounting for quarterbacks. So I agree with you there, Connor. Yeah, I'm going to have to side with you guys here too. I think Derrick Henry, he does – he is more of a pivotal point to their team. I think without him – I know Tannehill's playing really good, and uh, he always leads those comebacks. But without him, I don't think they'd be as good a team as they have been last year and especially this year he's always guaranteed over 100 yards and at least a touchdown so I think he really does keep him in games and really allows for them to contend against these high power teams like uh, the Chiefs and the Steelers so yeah I'm gonna have to go with Derrick Henry here too. Yeah me, me and Mark definitely agree with you that Derrick Henry's a little bit more of the the reason the Titans are so good even though a lot of people throw Ryan Tannehill into that MVP conversation. We, uh, a little bit back, throw Derrick Henry into the MVP conversation. But for the defensive player of the year, I think there's three main guys, unless I'm missing one. I think it's TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, or Aaron Donald. Maybe there's others, but those are the top three for me. And I think at this time, I, would, I have to go with TJ Watt. He's the fourth most in sacks that uh, puts him behind them too, but first in tackles for lost, first in QB hits. And I think he's just where I think at the end of the day, people are going to be looking for a new name to put up in defensive player of the year. And he's going to be, he's in games that already are very big. I think he's just in the bigger games right now. That, that matters at the end of the day. Maybe it shouldn't, but it plays into more of a narrative. So I'm going TJ Watt at the moment. Yeah, I know it's kind of the boring answer, but I'm going to go with Aaron Donald. I know that he's kind of just been the guy who, who wins that award each year, but, I mean, it's for good reason. This guy is just an absolute game wrecker. 
You saw it, even though they lost uh, yesterday to a tag of Ilo's first snap as a starter, Aaron Donald goes, hello, welcome to the NFL. Uh, I'm going to take that football out of your hands. <laughs> and he just does that on a daily basis. And sometimes the stats don't really account for everything that Aaron Donald does because this guy is in the middle. This guy is he, – he takes the bulk of the protection and still does – uh, the fact that he gets the amount of sacks that he does and the amount of tackles for loss that he does is astounding because this guy is getting all the attention and he still is able to bust through the line constantly and wreck running plays, destroy pass cover or, uh, protections. And I mean, he's just a guy that you have to watch, even though, you know, your eyes are supposed to be on the quarterback when the Rams defense is on the field, <laughs> you can't help, but, uh, keep looking at Aaron Donald as he manhandles uh, another fully grown guy. Uh, sometimes he, two guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes two yeah. guys. It, it's, it's incredible the things this guy does. And I think up to this point this year, he's been the de- the best defensive player in the NFL. Yeah, I think as much as I want to say TJ Watt being a Steelers fan, I'm glad somebody else thinks it, not just me. But uh, I think I'm going to have to also go with Aaron Donald too. Just because, as Mark said, he – He's at the center point of everything. He creates a bunch of havoc, a bunch of destructions to any offense that he plays against. And uh, he has nine sacks this year, second in the NFL. But also, I don't think the stats just show how disruptive he is, really, because there is one, I think it was in week five, that um, he got off this He got off this sack. I think, I forgot who they played against, but I looked into it later, and it said that he got the sack in two point. Two point one seconds is the fastest sack that's ever been that's been recorded this year. Jeez. So I think I think just that goes to show that like he even if like it's like a screen for example of a throw he's still he's still in the he's still on the play and he's still making plays for his team and he makes it, the players around him better. I think like Leonard Floyd and Brockers on the defensive line too they get sacks mostly because Aaron Dunn has like three guys on him. So I think also he makes the team better, and that's why I think he he will probably end up getting it. You know, I think a big nod Aaron Donald has over T.J. Watt is that the Rams lose a lot more when they don't have Aaron Donald than the Steelers' defense do when losing T.J. Watt. And that's not saying the Steelers don't lose a lot because T.J. Watt is a fantastic player. But I think the Steelers' defense is better off without T.J. Watt than the Rams are without Aaron Donald. I think Donald is such a critical part of that Rams' defense working. I'll definitely give you that. I think that it's more of a complete front seven the Steelers are working for. And if they did lose TJ Watt, I think they would be able to fill in in a way. It would it would matter, but not as much as the the Rams losing Aaron Donald. But on the other side of the ball, offensive rookie of the year. And I actually want to hear your guys' pick first on this one because I think I I think I might have a weird one, uh, an out there one at the moment. But what, what are you guys thinking? You know, for these past couple of weeks, I've been tempted and toyed around with the idea of Justin Herbert. But yesterday was the harsh realization that you can't uh, – Joe Burrow has been fantastic, and he's been getting better and better. And the fact, uh, the fact of the matter is, is the guy makes plays, and he's in his rookie year as a quarterback. Uh, I watched one play. It was, a, it was a third down, if I remember correct, or a second down, and Joe Burrow – had the, his pocket destroyed and he was able to escape two or three linemen and scramble for four or five yards. Not a very major play in the grand scheme of things, but the fact that it wasn't a 
seven to eight yard loss and instead a three yard gain, it just showed the escapability that this guy has. And it's not just something that he was going to do in college because we saw it in college and wondered, you know, is he going to pull that off with NFL linemen attacking him? And it looks like it's going to be the case. This guy's slippery and this guy makes plays. And I think that uh, I, I like Justin Herbert, but Joe Burrow has kept this Bengals team that is not super great in every single game they've played in so far this season, minus the game against the Ravens. And so I, I just don't know how uh, I can reason the, the other quarterback who started a good bulk of his games uh, this year um, and Justin Herbert can be better than Joe Burrow at this point and earn the award over him. Uh, I don't know. He, he's been a lot of fun to watch. He's been really good. And I know it's boring to make the first overall pick the, the offensive rookie of the year, but I think he's well-earned it. Yeah. I also think it's well-deserved. That's I made my pick Joe Burrow mostly for the same reason as you did. He makes the Bengals so much better. They have, they have a lot of good players, Joe, Joe Mixon, AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, but I think, having him on the team just makes them a lot better. And I think it might be like, I might over-exaggerate a little bit, but I think he even outplayed Tannehill yesterday. And um, that was a big reason why they won the game. I think he outplayed Tannehill and really it was an upset win. And just that it's not like it was just last game either. He's been doing it the whole season and they've been taking like tough losses against the Chargers where um, they missed the field goal. But I think over – over anybody else, really, Justin Herbert does make a case recently, even though they have been losing, but he has kept them in the games. I think Joe Burrow just has – I think he's doing a lot more with a lot less than Justin Herbert is. That's why I picked him. Nah, I agree with that. He is doing a lot more with a lot less. And I, I'm i going to go with Joe Burrow. I My my crazy pick I'll, I'll get to of what I think could some conversation be about this player. But like you guys are saying, Joe Burrow is easily keeping them in games they shouldn't be in, in all honesty. Uh, I mean, the only game you were saying, Mark, was that he wasn't in the Ravens game. I mean, we're going into this season, I definitely didn't expect them to be playing in a bunch of one-possession games. That's what he's done for the Bengals, and that's amazing. And then Justin Herbert is just on a, a better roster overall. But could... Justin Jefferson could get any talk going down the line. I think that was my like weirder pick and possibly being in there, but is there any chance that he could actually be in the conversation as we head towards the end of the season? I mean, I like the idea because Justin Jefferson has been awesome. Uh, the issue is, is that it's so hard for wide receivers to win these awards because, you know, they're just not the most critical part of their team. If Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert have a slump and and don't play well for the second half of the season and Justin Jefferson keeps performing, then I could see it. But at this moment, I don't anticipate that happening. And halfway through the season, I think I give the nod to Burrow, but I definitely think Justin Jefferson should get more love. I and mean, I didn't really think about it too much, uh, but definitely it's someone that should be acknowledged for just how well he's plugged in and played an important role on a team that needed uh, another good wide receiver with Stefan Diggs uh, out the gate. And also, yeah, go ahead. Connor. I also just think that he wasn't the wide receiver. If there was going to be a wide receiver in the conversation. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked Justin Jefferson, but we can do offensive. I mean, defensive 
rookie of the year. And this one honestly doesn't have that many names that, that excite me. Unless I'm, unless I'm missing people, there just isn't a lot of defensive rookies that have completely shown out this year. And wh- wh- what are you thinking, Mark, for this defensive rookie of the year? Uh, he's been injured a little bit this season, but I'm also going to be boring with this one. I had Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick, as the offensive rookie of the year, and I'm going to go with the number two overall pick in Chase Young as the defensive rookie of the year. Uh, the guy, when he's been playing, has been one of the big pieces on this Washington football team pass rush that has been relentless. It's probably the best group of players uh, of any of the NFC East teams. The just the the front seven of the Washington football team is definitely the best, like you know, set of players that any of the NFC East teams have right now. And I'd say that he's just been phenomenal. If I wanted to throw out another rookie that's done really well, and this may be a little bit of a homer in me, but uh, there are some stats to back it. Julian Blackman, a fourth-round pick out of Utah, has been starting at safety pretty much this entire season for the Colts, and he already has several interceptions and has had several pass breakups and has been stellar all year in his PFFs, uh, if I remember correctly, second-highest-rated defensive rookie right now behind Chase Young. So he may be able to be in that conversation as the year goes on. But at this point, I still go with Washington's pass rusher because when he's been in the game, he's been the guy that, you know, you watch him, you go, whoa, uh, that's crazy. But yeah, you're right, though, Connor. There's definitely no Nick Boza this year. That's uh, definitely not like last year's uh, slate of defensive rookies. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, other than Chase, I struggled with picking this one because there wasn't really that many big names. Um, but I went with the with the Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. I think uh, I think he fit their defense like perfectly, and he hasn't really made that many big plays plays that jump out at you. But uh, I think he really plugged the hole that was much needed for the Ravens and since C.J. Mosley left, and they were so dominant with him, and they haven't been able to really replace him ever since. But I think he just makes the whole overall defense and that team better balanced in a whole in a better overall unit. In the in pass coverage, he's solid, and in run coverage, also he's really good. And I think he's a big reason that um, their defense has been playing like really good, probably a top five in the NFL. So if I were to go against the norm, it would probably be Patrick Queen. Yeah, he's been underappreciated for his efforts this season. I will give you that. And I think it could lean towards him, depending how much Chase Young plays, because that was my issue. As I think. My pick is Chase Young, but he just hasn't played a lot. And I was like, okay, well, let me look around and see if there's other players that I've just have been missing. And there just really hasn't been someone to take that spot because I think there's an opportunity to take the spot from Chase Young since he hasn't been able to play too much. But when he has, he has shown out very well. So I think you got to give it to Chase Young at the moment. But comeback player of the year. My pick is Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, Big Ben, I think he's done enough to earn it after coming off an injury. And there's there's other options to give the pick out. Uh, but I think at this moment, I, I still got to go with Big Ben. I know I don't love the Steelers' offense, but he's done enough to earn the comeback player of the year for me. Yeah, it was looking like early in the season it might be Cam Newton. But, I mean, he's fallen off a cliff, so <laughs> that uh, is not the option. I. I hesitate because there's not a lot of good candidates for comeback play of the year this season. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger being the front runner right now. And that's crazy because statistically he's not been that great. And he's, Mm -hmm. he's had some poor games, 
So I don't know if I'm happy with that. Um, if I really wanted to go crazy here, because the moment I watched him walk on the field, I wanted to give him the comeback player of the year award mm -hmm. was Alex Smith. When I saw him walk on the field and start playing football, I was thinking, give that man comeback player of the year. I don't care. I don't care at all. This guy deserves it. This guy is a trooper. And I don't think you can do that just because he's not actually playing. But in my, in my heart, he's the comeback player of the year. But outside of that, I mean, I think Big Ben's really the only guy who's come back and played competent football throughout the season. Rob Gronkowski's done well a week or two. But, I mean – Outside of that, I mean, I think Big Ben's really your only decent option. Yeah, I was gonna, I was thinking about Gronk for a little bit, but he hasn't really done it as long as Ben. Ben's also my pick. I think you just have to look at the team last year, Pittsburgh Steelers team last year, eight and eight yeah. without a starting, without a starting quarterback, and uh, they still managed to almost make the playoffs, and now they're undefeated. So I think Ben has definitely been, he has been really the only option. Cam Newton hasn't been doing that great, and. Uh, there's this stat I saw that said Pittsburgh has scored 26 points in each of their uh, in each of their games so far, and they've and last year they scored less than 26 in 11 out of their 14 games. So I think he just that shows how big of a difference he makes for the Pittsburgh Steelers and why they're undefeated so far. Yeah, yeah, he might not have great offensive numbers, but it is a step up from what other other options they had, and he's making this team. He's the defense is the reason the team's undefeated, but he's definitely – if it wasn't Ben, Big Ben at quarterback, they wouldn't be undefeated. We've Absolutely. got two more awards left, Coach of the Year and MVP. And Coach of the Year, honestly, at the beginning of the year, I would have done a homer pick with Matt LaFleur, but I've, I've fallen away from that. And then, honestly, just a week ago, I was convincing myself of Kyle Shanahan because of the injuries they've gone through and how he's been able to find their way back. But after this week, I'm back out on Kyle Shanahan. And <laughs> I, I find myself on, on high with, with Mike Tomlin right now. I think what he's done with the Steelers, I'm not sure he, he'll win this award actually, but I think what he's done defensively and offensively, I think they're going to have a really good record. I think just at this moment, they're, they're playing really good fundamental football, and I got to give it to Mike Tomlin. You know, for me, it, it depends because this is the one award where right now I don't know if my, my uh, name right now is going to be the name I give at the end of the season, and that's mainly just because it's on if this team gets to the playoffs or not. I have two guys in mind. Uh, outside of Mike Tomlin, who I think would also be a good pick, um, that it, it's dependent on if their team makes the playoffs. And I'm going to pick the one that currently, as it stands, is in a playoff spot. And I'm going to go with Kevin Stefanski. I think that you look at the Browns team this year and the Browns team last year, and you notice just how much a difference a good coach makes in between a Freddie Kitchens-led yeah. team and a Kevin Stefanski-led team. If, if this team makes the playoffs, I think – Kevin Stefanski has a lot to take credit for in that. This is a this is a talented team, but this is a team that was very mistake prone and inconsistent last year. And he's making them, he's helping them get better at that. And their play design and their play calling this year has been so much better than it was with Freddie Kitchens. They've been so much more dynamic and well designed, well drawn up plays than a Freddie Kitchens team. That I have to say that I like that about him. Now, 
another guy that I think that should be looked out for. And I, we, we give a lot of love to this coach, but not in this discussion given the team he, he coaches for. But the Miami Dolphins, should they make the playoffs, I think Brian Flores wins in a landslide and deserves to win in a landslide because the things that guy has done with this football team has been incredible. And really, in my heart, he is my coach of the year right now. This Miami Dolphins team, I, I, I think he's done great work with them. And I think that he deserves it. But you, you, I don't know if he can give the coach of the year to a team that doesn't make the playoffs. So right now it's Kevin Stefanski. Should the Dolphins somehow sneak in, Brian Flores is my guy. Stamp it in, send it in right now. Yeah, that's a that's a good pick. I never that never came to my head, honestly. I think he's done a really good job with the Dolphins, and uh, but I, I I went with Mike Tomlin also. Uh, I think though the thing that stands out most to me from Mike Tomlin is that he's I think he's the only coach that's never had a losing season. Like mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think people know how crazy of a, a record that is. Like most coaches don't last as long as he has, and to never have a losing season is is pretty remarkable. And I think, yeah, I think when you hear most of his players talk about him, most of them call him a player's coach and it's somebody you want to play for. I think that also plays a part into why his teams do pretty good most of the most seasons he's coached. And uh, this year being undefeated, I think he's got, I think he does have the best shot at winning coach of the year this year. Does Cliff Kingsbury have any shot? I think he does. That was another name I toyed with, but I mean, if they make the playoffs, I definitely think he should be in that conversation because what he's done in Arizona has been some – it's been kind of awesome to watch. But I think there are other guys I just uh, – I think have done more uh, than Kingsbury. But I think he definitely should be recognized for the work he's done in Arizona these past two years. MVP. Probably not the most interesting conversation right now with how it's been covered with – I feel like there's a pretty obvious front runner. And I tried to convince myself of a uh, more out there pick, but I wasn't able to just since Russell Wilson, I mean, leads in touchdowns, 26, 120.8 QB rating this year. That puts him only behind Rodgers and Manning for a single season uh, passer rating. And I just think he's playing well. He's the only reason that Seahawks team is finding ways to have the record they have right now. And I I think it's got to be him, even though, there's people that will probably compete for it at the end, but at this moment, it's it's still Russell Wilson for me. Yeah, what Russell Wilson's done these these first uh, half of the season has been lights out. He just he doesn't let other teams win football games. Last season being the only exception, and even then, he did what he could to to win the game for the Seahawks. I don't know if I pin that loss on him. I think until someone else has a moment like Russell Wilson did against the Vikings on Sunday Night Football. I don't know how you can argue against him because uh, like I said, after that game, Russell Wilson had the ball on his own like 10 yard line with two minutes to go. And there wasn't a doubt in anyone's mind that he was going to drive down, score a touchdown and win the game for the Seahawks. That's an MVP. That's a guy that you, you just know when when you know that a quarterback's going to do that. I I don't know how, I I don't know how much better form you can be in uh, than Russell Wilson is in right now. Now, for the second half of the season, really the only guy I could see catching up and competing with him is Patrick Mahomes. I think he's – and I mean, I think he's the only guy who, who's been playing at a high level that could continue to just perform and 
keep pace with Russell Wilson. But I think Russell Wilson has to stumble before Patrick Mahomes really has an argument for MVP because he's been phenomenal at this point. And, I mean, I mean, he's been almost flawless throughout this season. So I don't know how much more could be said about it. Yeah, I'm going to have to jump on, jump on that bandwagon too. I'm going to go with Russell Wilson just because I think he – this season's been – he's been ridiculous this season. But over the past couple of seasons, he's been pretty good top, top of the – charts and quarterbacks being of just quarterbacks but uh, I think like they're all I think they have the best ranked offense and uh, I think that's a big reason why the Seahawks overall as a team are or have the record that they have because their defense is not playing as good as it should compared to their (laughs) offense so I think just because just because of the fact that they put up so many points and their defense has to really break down and really lose them the game for them to even come close to losing a game. I think that's why he deserves the MVP just because he puts them in a situation to win almost all these games with that defense not being as reliable as it should be. He's the reason why they win games to me. Well, that is our midseason NFL awards, and it'll be interesting to see how the discussion changes around some of these awards, I think definitely coach of the year. It's still up in the air. MVP seems a little bit more locked. Some of them seem more locked, like comeback player of the year, but there are some that definitely have a good shot of changing down, down the road, but we can, we can get into the games here. And I would say there are honestly three quote unquote upsets yesterday to three teams that I believe they think they are competing in the playoffs, like pretty top tier teams on each side of the division and the Vikings over the Packers, Bengals over the Titans, Dolphins over the Rams. Do, are any of those teams we need to be worrying about? Um, I think there's a reason to be worried about all three of them. Uh, I don't know how I would rank which level of worry I'd be for each team, but I think the Titans my takeaway was, I guess this Titans team is more like the Titans I've known over the years as an AFC South uh, person that they, you know, they can win some big games, but they also are just going to be fluky and they're going to lose some. Uh, that was kind of my thought, and which is concerning because I thought the, the Titans were really solid this year and wouldn't lose to teams beneath them. But it turns out they can very well do that. Uh, the Packers, I'd be really concerned because this is the same problem you had last year in the playoffs, stopping the run, stopping a running back. And Dalvin Cook, I mean, you knew he was going to continue to get the ball and you couldn't really do too much about it. So I think that's a heavy concern for the Packers when they're thinking about uh, January and they're playing against teams who can run the ball. What are they going to do about it? And then the Rams, it just seems like it's a different team each week. You just don't know what to expect out of them. And they got dominated. They didn't even – their defense did all right. They'd only allowed two offensive touchdowns. But it just seemed like no matter how hard they tried to get back into the game, their offense just wasn't quite working. And, I mean, Connor can talk more about that game uh, later. But, I mean, this Rams team, I'm concerned about just what team's going to show up week in and week out. And, you know, in a playoff race, in a good division, you can't just have off days because the Cardinals – the Seahawks will definitely take advantage, and even the 49ers might. Yeah, uh, I think going off of that point that you said, I think it really has to do with Jared Goff. Which Jared Goff are you going to get each week? Last This past week he looked, got like 
Ben DiNucci might have even looked better than him this week. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I think my take is I think I'd be more worried about uh, the Packers just because I think Aaron Rodgers masks or covers a lot of the issues that they have. The, a big loss I don't think many people have realized is that they lost their middle linebacker, Blake Martinez, to the Giants. So I think that that's a big loss for them be, just from yesterday. Dalvin Cook ran all over them, and that defense really isn't as good as it has been. I mean, last year they were pretty good. They, they were up there in sacks. But I think that if you're Aaron Rodgers and if you're the Packers, looking at that game, you're, you're thinking back to the 49ers game last year in the NFC Championship and that, they still really haven't fixed the issues that were exposed during that game. So I would have to go with the Packers just because of that defense, really. I, I hate to say it too, but I, I think the Packers I am the most worried about because that defense does not, they're just not causing the, the turnovers and the impact plays they were last year. I mean, Preston Smith has been non-existent and the only hope I have right now is that it's at the trade deadline and hopefully they think that they need to go out and get a defensive player that can hopefully spark a, uh, a ignition in this defense because I, they have playmakers on the defensive side. They're just not making plays right now. And they can, any team, I think, if they can run all over them. And that's going to be an issue coming January, like you said, Mark. But let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why everyone and their mother seems like they have a podcast today? Well, it's probably because there's over a million podcasts a day alone, and it continues to grow every single day. And you've probably wondered, how do I start a podcast? And you've probably thought, it's too expensive, I don't have the equipment, it'll be too difficult, I just can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. There's a platform called Anchor, and it's the simplest way to make a podcast and I did some light background research for you. First off, it's free. There's creations tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. And we are back with more First and Moose. A game I wanted to talk about, Mark, you, you covered, you watched very thoroughly, was the Broncos-Chargers game. And during First and Moose Live, you mentioned how you thought that Drew Locke possibly might have to uh, play from behind, and he did, and you wanted to see how he handled that, and it looks like he handled it very well. You know, uh, Connor, I could never anticipated it to be that extreme, though. I thought this was a Chargers lead by two to three scores in the first half, and then the second half is Drew Locke calling back into the game. This was not at all what I was anticipating. I'm going to I'm going to own up to it. I did not think that they were going to fire back so quickly in the fourth quarter and pull this off. And that's great for Drew Locke. And I guess we'll start there with my observations. I don't think I took so few notes in any of the other games I've analyzed. I just didn't have a lot of in-depth things to take away from this game. But I think going in, I knew the talk was going to be about Justin Herbert and Drew Locke. And really, it's interesting to think about 95% of the game, Justin Herbert was the better quarterback. He was more confident. 
He knew where his guys are going to be. He looked composed. He didn't make too many mistakes outside of his one. He had the interception at the very beginning of the game, and he bounced back from it and did well. And his other interception, I don't put on him. That was a great defensive play, and his receiver got beat in the end zone. But Herbert looked the better guy the entire game. Drew Locke just didn't look comfortable in the pocket. He didn't seem poised. He, he wasn't. He just seemed shaky in his decision-making and just did not seem like his head was quite in the game. The Chargers' defense was doing fits to him. And then the fourth quarter hit, and it was comeback time, and Drew Locke started hitting passes, started getting a little bit of his swagger that I think Drew Locke needs to be a successful quarterback. It started working. It started clicking, and the Broncos' offense was on. The wide receivers started thriving. The wide receivers started finding separation, and Drew Locke and them were on the same page. And then that final drive happened. Wow. Talk about composure. Talk about some coolness from Drew Locke. And then, you know, I remember him being on the sideline with Vic Fangio one second left in the game and they're at the 25 and he, he's talking who has got his, his coach and he has the composure to sling it into the end zone. And what I thought was a pretty good ball and drew the pass interference. I think it was the right call. Some people might be a little upset because, you know, let them play at the end of the game. But the, the corner wasn't even looking at the ball. It was all over uh, whoever the receiver was. I can't remember who he was, Locke was throwing to. But got the ball on the one-yard line. And then the one-yard line, the, the game-winning play, Drew Locke rolls out. There's a, there, there is one corner between him and his receiver. He marks Hamilton for the most part and then decides that he wants to go after Locke. And Locke, uh, the light goes up in his head as the corner starts running towards him. And he just slings it to the now open receiver and he makes it work, tucks it in the right spot. That is composure. That is poise. That is something that you love to see out of your quarterback. And that's something the Broncos can be in, enthusiastic about because, you know, he didn't have a good day, but then he made it work when it counted. That's a franchise quarterback right there. So uh, going in to the matchup, I thought, you know, who, who won, uh, who won, when it came to having uh, their franchise quarterback. And if I'm going to be honest, I think both teams won. Both teams in that regard have a great quarterback at their disposal. Justin Herbert didn't lose this game. They started trying to run the ball out. They didn't quite get it to work. They kicked a field goal on their last drive. So they even scored before the Broncos got the ball one last time and the defense just couldn't get it done. This was not on Herbert. So I think both teams could be happy with their quarterbacks. And then really the only other things that really stood out to me were the two running back groups of these teams. For the Chargers, you've got Troy Main Pope, Justin Jackson, and Josh Kelly, who I think are all viable options in that running back group. And I think they're happy with just rotating through them and shaking it up drive by drive. I don't think you need to pick a number one running back right now if you're Los Angeles, because I think that's what's going to work for them for the rest of the season. Maybe you want to try to figure out a number one option for the future for years to come. But right now, that running back by committee is working. And the same can be said for the Broncos. I was a bit skeptical of the Melvin Gordon signing. I thought it was a little bit weird that he would go to a team where he knew Philip Lindsay would be getting a lot of those carries. But really, it was a great one-two punch because you just – these are two guys that can do a lot of the same things, but they do them in very different ways. And I think that's great to shake up the defense and to get them guessing about what exactly is going to happen and to keep them on their toes because Melvin Gordon's going to hit you a lot harder than Philip Lindsay is. But then after a drive or two of Melvin Gordon, you get Philip Lindsay in and he makes a shift 
and suddenly you've let him go flying down the field because the guy just has that ability to cut and dash. And I mean, I think they're two very viable uh, options at running back and they work very well as a, as a tandem, but really that's all my takeaways from this game. Uh, I didn't really have too many in-depth notes. I do like the Broncos receiving core. I think they're a little underrated. They're not as good as the chargers receiving core, but I think that, Denver doesn't get enough love for the amount of playmakers they have uh, on offense in that receiving position. But overall, great game. Drew Locke impressed me at the end because I was very worried about him throughout. And then he came in hot in the fourth quarter and turned the page. Yeah. Um, if I, yeah, if I did have like some reactions to this game was that if I'm being honest, it wasn't really one I really was anticipating watching at the start, but when the fourth quarter hit, it was a completely different game. I think absolutely. Yeah. Like uh Drew I think Drew Luck really needed this game after uh the Kansas City game where I think maybe there was some doubt in him after Kansas City. Some people were starting to question if he was the guy that the Broncos needed. But uh yeah, I think he more than proved that with that comeback. And uh also touching on the Chargers, I think it kind of has been the story of this team really for the since Justin Herbert took over, which is a shame because he's been playing so good. He should be highlighted as like one of their best players and I, he has been but the overall message and uh point that most people get across from watching the charges is that oh they blew another lead like what's new for this season at least and I think it it's not gonna fall on Justin Herbert but I think it could be looked at like the coaching really yeah yeah why this keeps on happening they have their guy obviously in Justin Herbert and they have the talent around him so I think that going forward, I think that's something to watch. If the Chargers continue continue to blow these leads with Justin Herbert playing so good, I think maybe the, they could be looking for a coaching change or some personnel change within their organization. Yeah, it would definitely be interesting if there was a personnel change for the for the Chargers. But the most anticipated game yesterday was Ravens Steelers. And it was it was a good game, and there were some things that I didn't expect. Definitely didn't expect four turnovers all by Lamar Jackson. Uh, and I wasn't sure how Pittsburgh would play from behind, to be honest. And they played from behind for the majority of of the game. And I thought they they thought they did well playing from behind. The defense uh, still found ways to cause turnovers. The offense basically just looked sluggish for for a very long time. And but the the thing is, so far the Steelers kind of at least defensively kind of remind me of that 49ers team last year because they can cause so much trouble from their front seven. And I mean, they're just really good defensively, especially their pass rush. I mean, and then also like to me, the 49ers offense could be kind of lackluster sometimes. I think the Steelers offense can be pretty lackluster overall. But what were some takeaways you guys had from this game? Well, I mean, you think that the NFL, the modern NFL, is constantly turning further and further away from defense, but it's still the mantra defense wins championships is still alive and well. I mean, like you're comparing the Steelers team to the 49ers last year, which were very heavy on being a defensive minded team. And the Steelers team is just like that. And they're winning big games off their defense in the modern NFL, which I think goes to show that they're. Some things change and some things will forever stay the same. And I think a good defense is always going to be a ticket to being a good football Super Bowl contending team. 
And I think the Steelers proved yesterday that they can beat anybody and, and they can beat them in a lot of different ways. Like we've kind of talked about in the past, but the main, the constant uh, through all of those many different ways is that their defense is going to perform and their defense is going to play well, whether they're just stout or they're forcing turnovers and scoring points themselves, they're going to show up and they're going to be the best group on the field out of the four offense defense, uh, the four personnel groups in a football game, the Steelers defense may be the best in the NFL for, for any group, maybe the chiefs offense, maybe the only thing that may be better. And, uh, I think that for Pittsburgh, you're really happy right now. For Baltimore, I'm concerned about Lamar Jackson because he has not had a stellar season. He's not done well, and yesterday's game against Pittsburgh was symbolic of the struggles he's had this season. He hasn't faced pressure really well. He's not been as explosive as he was last season, and he just doesn't seem as uh, composed. And so moving forward – He's not had a good bounce back year from his MVP season. And uh, if you're the Ravens, you're concerned about this because this is, you know, I mean, he was the MVP last year. You're, you're putting a lot of pressure on this guy. And if he's turning the ball over four times in a big game, then that's some concern for when you're up against other good teams in the future. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with that too. I think just watching Lamar Jackson, I was really intrigued to see how this game would play out because as Connor mentioned before, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to see how both of them played from behind because the Steelers have been so dominant this year playing against all those teams and winning all their games so far and the Ravens just running it every single time and being dominant that way. I wanted to see how they would uh, face up to some adversity facing each other. And uh, I think the Steelers responded well, mostly because of the defense, like you mentioned, Mark. I think uh, defense really keeps you in games. It really as good as your offense may be, like the Ravens do have a great offense, if you have a good defense, it, they will stop most of their offensive possessions and give your offense at least a chance. And uh, touching on Lamar Jackson, too, I wanted to see uh, when the Steelers took the lead late in the fourth quarter, I think everybody, including Ravens fans, were like, okay, now's the time. Can Lamar Jackson pull it off? Because if you talk about great quarterbacks, great MVP quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson, like we talked about before, um, if they have the ball late in the game and then you need a touchdown, there's no question. You're thinking, yeah, we got this. He's going to score. We can win the game. But with Lamar Jackson, you're thinking, can he even really like throw the ball and can he be clutch throwing the ball and get us back into games like this? So I think, again, he did prove that he is more of a runner than he's not a great passer. I think he proved that yesterday. And I think if the Ravens want to, get back to where they were or where they think they should be contending for Super Bowls. I think he has to be, he has to be better passing the ball. They can't just run it all over teams because teams do pick up on that and they can defend against that in the playoffs, at least. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting point, Manny and reversing it a little bit. If you're playing the Ravens, are you scared of Lamar Jackson in a two minute drill coming down in the fourth quarter against your team? Uh, I think right now I would say no right now. I'd, I don't. I would not be afraid of him. And Mike Tomlin, I think, summed it up yesterday with a quote that he said after the game, post game. He said, "Yeah, we respect Lamar Jackson, but we don't. We don't fear him, especially in the two minute drill." I think, like I said before, yeah, like especially like when Tom Brady was on those Patriots and you did manage to get a lead over them. I think most fans would be shaking when he had the ball less than two minutes and they needed a touchdown, 
everybody knew he was going to get it done. He was the guy. He had that clutch, like, uh, that clutch gene in him. But I, Lamar hasn't proven that yet. He, against the big teams at least, he hasn't done it um, very well as other as other quarterbacks that he wants to be compared with being at the MVP level. So I think, I don't think, yeah, I don't think if there's a two-minute draw, I don't think you should be really worried about Lamar, like, passing passing all over you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great quote from Mike Tomlin. We don't fear him, but we respect him. Or we, we respect him, but we don't fear him. I think there are some quarterbacks, like, in a two-minute drill, as a fan of the opposing team, you're nervous because you just don't want that quarterback to drive down, especially a good quarterback like Lamar Jackson. But, again, uh, when Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers have the ball with two minutes to go, there is a pit in your stomach. And mm-hmm. I don't think that yeah. pit is there when you're up against Lamar Jackson. And I think that is a big discrepancy between him and other top-tier guys. And, Mark, should the, should the Chiefs be worried about the Steelers right now? Should they be looking over their shoulder? Um, I mean, the Chiefs should be looking at them face-to-face because, I mean, I mean, right now they're behind them in the, the race for the bye in the AFC, and that's a huge, huge race. I mean, at this point, I mean, I just want to see these two teams play because <laughs> you've got a Chiefs offense that – ripped through the Ravens defense when they played them a couple weeks ago. And I just want to see what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. I know that's cliche to say, but that's, these are the epitome of those two things right now in sports. You've got, I mean, I don't know if I'm the chiefs, you know, you can beat a team like this because you beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl last year, but it doesn't mean you're going to win. It doesn't mean you're, you're going to win if you play Pittsburgh. It, it, I think you know you can, though. I think this is the game where you go in and both teams heavily respect each other and think they're going to win the game going in. And it, it would be an absolute, absolute brawl. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, the Chiefs, you're always confident with the Chiefs just because you have Patrick Mahomes. He can, I, he can do some crazy stuff. It's ridiculous what kind of throws he can make. But um, I think especially this year with the playoff race, only one team gets the bye. I think, I think it should be – it should come down close at the end of the year. But uh, I think the Chiefs, their offense is great. Everybody knows that. But their defense can be a little bit leaky at times. So I think it kind of like balances out. The Chiefs, great offense. Steelers, great defense. But then you have the Steelers, okay, like lesser offense against the Chiefs, decent and lack cluster defense. So I think it'll be – they're really matched up well against each other, and it'll be interesting if they do play later on. Yeah, I think definitely a lot of fans will hope these teams match up against each other at some point in the playoffs. But the game I paid attention to closely was the Dolphins-Rams game. And, you know, going into the game, you're thinking, let's see how Tua does. Uh, Tua's going to be the story. We're going to see how he does. And then he ended up – not being the story whatsoever at all I mean, yeah. like at all <laughs> so the, the jury is still out into it I don't I don't nothing great from him but nothing ugly from him it was just a performance he didn't have to do much to be honest with you so I don't have tons of thoughts on Tua he looked good at moments he looked okay at moments but it was never like these moments it was like oh goodness I mean I was scared at first though with uh, getting uh, strip sacks by Aaron Darnold and uh, turning it over. I was like, oh, this is going to be a rough day for yeah. him. But he really, after that, he didn't have to do much, and he made a lot of good reads. But there's there's just not too much for him. So we have to wait on the Tua decision, how we feel about him. But I want to talk about the box score 
and how misleading this box score is because it is a very fun box score. One team had 471 yards of offense compared to 145 yards. <laughs> One team had 31 first downs. The other had eight first downs. One team possessed the ball for 36 minutes. And Uh-oh. then the other one possessed it for 24 minutes. One quarterback threw for 355 yards, one threw for 93 yards. I mean, this is one of the weirdest box scores I think you could you could look at in the NFL. And I don't think you would pick the score of what it ended up being. So I thought that was super fun. But this Dolphins defense, pretty darn good. I think it's a very good Dolphins defense. And I think teams shouldn't want to necessarily always play the Dolphins. They're, they're a team that, honestly, after this, I think has a shot at winning the, the division. I mean, I'm not going to pick them to win the division, but the Bills haven't looked great recently. And I, I think that's something the Bills have to turn around because if they keep on playing like the way they're playing, the Dolphins are going to sneak up on them. And – I don't think they'll win tons of games, but they're gonna they're gonna beat up on some teams with how they're playing defensively last last yesterday. But I think one thing is the Sean McVay offense sometimes is a little bit weak. It it's very good against most teams, but every once in a while it runs into a defense where it just can't do much and it has off days. And I've experienced that with the Matt LaFleur offense, where most of the times it works, but then every once in a while you go against a team. And it just ends up completely falling out and not working. I think that's kind of what happened against this, against this this Dolphins team yesterday. And it's it's definitely something not necessarily to worry about. But like we were talking about earlier about the three teams that lost, the Rams show up in games and they don't show up in games. And I think after this game makes me feel like they're not a top tier contender. They're a playoff team most likely, but they're not a team that I trust to win an important game. I think they're probably a good chance of getting bounced out in the first weekend of the playoffs. And then the Dolphins, it's still – I still want to see a lot more from Tua, and I thought we would learn some stuff, but I don't really think we learned much at all from Tua yesterday. And that will be exciting to see how that develops overall throughout the year. Another another game that was, that was pretty close uh, – Honestly, it was it was a close game, but I didn't find myself excited during most of the game. Uh, you mentioned it as two uh, boring good teams yesterday and the, the Saints-Bears. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was kind of like a – it was a boring game. It was close, but I just wasn't – it wasn't piquing my interest, to be honest with you. I mean, did it pique your interest at all, Mark? Well, you know, the thing I've noticed about the Bears is that they just make every game ugly. And credit to them – they make every game a Bears football game. So I think that's a big thing about the, this matchup that or about the Bears in general that makes them a good team is that uh, it doesn't care how polished, how good of a football team you are, the Bears are going to drag you down to their level <laughs> and make you throw mud at each other instead of put playing you know, your, your modern-day football. So credit to them for that. But they got to win when they you know, get down to that level. And – yeah, I can't say I was too invested in this game. I mean, obviously, I was paying attention to the Broncos game. But even then, I, the fact that it was close, it, 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 it just wasn't an exciting brand of football. Uh, credit to the Saints for getting the job done. But I still am concerned about this New Orleans team moving forward. 
they're definitely not the Super Bowl contending team I thought they'd be at the beginning of the year. And they don't look like the Super Bowl contending team they've been in past years, uh, which means they'll get further in the playoffs this year than they will in years <laughs> past, <laughs> naturally. Um, but I don't know. At this point, they're just not inspiring. And the Bears certainly are not inspiring on the offensive side of the ball. They're pretty hor- horrific. Um, I don't know. I struggle to see either of these teams doing well in the playoffs if they make them to the playoffs because I wouldn't I wouldn't be a given for either of these sides. Uh, the next matchup for both these teams are interesting because the Bears play the Titans, which I think could also be an ugly game. That's just a lot of running the ball. Definitely. And then you've got the Saints playing Tampa Bay on Sunday night, and I think that could get ugly for New Orleans because the Buccaneers are one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now coming off of what should be a thrashing tonight against New York on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some of y'all will be listening to this after the fact, so I hope I don't sound dumb, but I think most people can understand <laughs> that the expectation going into the game is not a good one for the Giants. But yeah, I, I, I think both these teams are a bit lackluster when we are talking about contenders. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I, just like you guys both mentioned that this game wasn't very fun to watch. The only reason I really watched this was because I had Alan Robinson and Alvin Kamara on my fantasy team. So yeah. I, wanted see, I wanted to see how good they were doing. But I think it just – I don't know. I don't know what happened to the Saints team, really. I think – has it been that Michael Thomas really just meant so much to them? I know he means a lot, obviously. He was – he did play ridiculous last year. But you think having, like, a great coach and a great quarterback like Sean Payne and Drew Brees have been together for years now. Like, you think that would play more into a part of the success behind this team. But uh, it is starting to – I think it's starting to show a little bit that Michael Thomas maybe did play a bigger role than than uh, most people thought he would because I think when he went out, people still thought, okay, the Saints are still going to roll through teams. They're very well coached, very well quarterbacked. They, they have the recipe to win games for most teams. But, uh, yeah, just these past couple of weeks, they've looked like they, they don't really have a spark to their offense. There's nothing really exciting. So I think that is pretty interesting to watch, especially next week with Tampa Bay playing as good as anybody with that offense. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to next week, seeing how they play. And the Saints are still in an all-win mode. I mean, today, just about an hour ago, they traded for Quan Alexander from the 49ers. But it almost seems like the Saints' Super Bowl window is closed, to be honest, or very close to closing. Like, it's right – it's very slim at this point. Do you, do you think, Mark, that this window is – is uh, pretty much closed or closed all the way? I mean, there's always the uh, the potential for a burst in form late season for a team to come into the playoffs and, and play really well and have a, a sort of a great run. It's been a couple years since we've seen a team really do that. Uh, we haven't had an underdog run to the Super Bowl these past few years. It's been very much been predictable uh, as far as which teams are going to meet in that championship game. So there's that possibility. But outside of that, I do think this door is pretty much closed. If it's not this season, it's not going to happen for the Saints because Drew Brees is getting older. I think Sean Payton is starting to lose touch as far as, you know, uh, energizing a team because they just don't look like they have the same energy they've had in years past, even though they're playing efficient, effective football. I mean, they're winning games. I just haven't been sold on them, watching them ever uh, this season. And so I think that that window's pretty much closed unless you know they spark on a great run to close this season bills 
Patriots. Bills only won by three. Is that something we should just put up to playing the Patriots? Or is this continuous playing of the Bills that just hasn't looked very great uh, week in, week out lately should be something of a concern? I would be concerned. I'm concerned until they get back into form again. I think they can click back into shape. But, uh, I mean, credit to the Patriots for bouncing back from last week's loss. I mean, they were practically in it. and Just Cam Newton made a mistake at the end of the game. Um, but Bills have a big game this next week. I think they need to prove something against the Seahawks this uh, upcoming matchup in order, for, uh, in order for worries to be quelled. Because if not, then any competitive match they're in, you don't feel good about them. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the Bills, they, they did come out of the gates blazing – Josh Allen was in the MVP conversation at the start of the at the start of the season, but now they have like plateaued a little bit. Stephon Diggs, I think just I think cause Stephon Diggs really is their only weapon. They do have John Brown, they have decent running backs, but I think teams are starting to game plan for them a little bit better. They're starting to really like know how the Bulls are going to attack them and how to defend against it. And I guess the Patriots, their defense. They lost like over like half of their starting defenders anyway. So I think a team going forward would look at that and be like, okay, if the Patriots with uh with their depleted defense can do it, then uh, certainly a great defense like the Steelers or like the Ravens can definitely put up a fight against the Bills, even if they are so good offensively. Definitely. Well, that is going to wrap it up for our episode today. For first and moose, we covered our NFL midseason awards and reacted to week eight. And we had a special guest in Manny on. Thank you for coming on, Manny. It was fun. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, of course. This will do it for the week eight reaction of First and Moose, whether you're listening on the air at 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Thank you for listening or on any podcast platform.